in this time-conscious world where speed is everything, sometimes God pushes the pause button. I want you to know that every chapter of every book in God's Word, God has something to say. And people who love and respect Him should be willing to listen and learn. Even as we think about the Old Testament, Romans 15.4 says that the things that were written before time were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. While the Old Testament isn't for our law, it most assuredly is for our learning. And when you think about 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Paul would write, these things happened to them by way of admonition to us. There is a great deal that can be learned and ought to be appreciated from the Old Testament. And in a book that's full of lessons for God's people... The book of Joshua, few lessons need to be more learned than the lesson found in Joshua chapter 5. Open your Bibles, please, to Joshua chapter 5. There will be times that God hits the pause button. We may hate to wait, standing in long lines, waiting... It can be really difficult, but there will be times when God hits the pause button and we need to view that as an opportunity to take time to be holy. Take time to be holy. And if I could summarize the message of Joshua 5 in a sentence, that's what it's about. When God hits the pause button, make sure that you take time time to be holy. 24 chapters in the book of Joshua. Chapters 1 through 4 are about entering the promised land. This is what they had been waiting for for so long, entering the promised land. Joshua chapters 1 through 4. Secondly, when you look at chapter 5 through 12, it is about taking the land. Taking the promised land. God said He would be with them and through His strength that they would overcome the inhabitants of the promised land, that land that flowed with milk and honey. 5 through 12 is about taking the land. 13 through 21, chapters 13 through 21 are about possessing the land. It's one thing to take land. It's another thing to really possess it, live in it, and enjoy it. And then fourth, look at chapters 22 through 24. They are about retaining the land. And Joshua makes it really clear to Israel there in the Old Testament that if you want to be able to retain this land you need to remember who blessed you with it, who was instrumental in giving it to you. He'll also be the one that will help you retain it if you trust Him. Now, if you were listening to that, and admittedly it was pretty fast, 
Joshua chapter 4 is sort of a turning point. Because in Joshua 24, God's people Israel have miraculously crossed the Jordan River. And now we get to chapter 5. They have crossed the Jordan River, as it were, on dry land. Now Joshua chapter 5. This chapter is all about the Lord. It's not primarily about Israel, although it's important to mention them. This passage is about the Lord. It's not about Joshua, though he is the leader of God's people. This passage is about the Lord, and let's see how everything revolves around him and his word. Notice Joshua 5, verse 1. This passage emphasizes the word of the Lord's strength. The word of the Lord's strength. And what happens is this. When all of the people of Canaan, all of the Canaanites, the Amorites and all of the other peoples hear that God has taken the Jordan River and made it possible for Israel to pass over it like it's dry land, And when they hear about that, their hearts melt. And there is a tremendous sense of fear among these people. Now, if we go back in history a little bit, you may remember this from Bible class years ago. Remember the people that came with an unfavorable report and said, we can never take Canaan land? And remember Joshua and Caleb? Yes, we can. The Lord's with us. Let's do this. Initially, God's people had been afraid of the Canaanites, and now the shoe is on the foot of the Canaanites. They're afraid of Israel. When you look at chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, each of the chapters, 9, 10, and 11 of Joshua, begins with what a king of Canaan land, one of the Canaanite kings, or Kings, plural, hears about what God and Israel are doing. It begins right here in chapter 5. They hear about what God has done and their hearts melt. Psalm 68 and verse 2 talks about melting like wax. Their hearts, we would say, sunk and drooped and they just liquefied The Canaanites' hearts liquefied when they heard what God did. And they were greatly afraid. Go back to Joshua 2 with me. Joshua chapter 2. The word of the Lord's strength. It has got the Canaanites trembling in their boots. God is so mighty and strong. When you look at Joshua chapter 2, you'll see the words of Rahab in this chapter, especially chapter 2, 14 through about verse 19. And what Rahab says is, we have heard about how God parted the Red Sea and how kings like uh, Og and Sihon fell before you. And she is part of the city of Jericho. 
Mark that because in the very next chapter after chapter 5, Jericho will come down. All due to the power and strength of God. One more passage to consider with me. Look at Joshua 4, 24. The last verse of chapter 4. Joshua 4, verse 24. Joshua says that God parted the Jordan so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. I want you to know that at this point in history, the Canaanites may well be fearing the God of Israel more than Israel fears its own God. Certainly that would be true at another point in history. You have the word of the Lord. It's powerful. The word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So says Hebrews 4 and verse 12. When God says something, we should understand what He says and respect it. That brings me to a second observation about the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is not only strong, not only does it strengthen, but the word of the Lord, secondly, is a word of the Lord's timing. It's a word of the Lord's timing. Look at verses 2 through 9. And we have a lot of sayings uh, about speed. Speed is of the essence. Strike while the iron is hot. Get her done. Get it done now. Don't procrastinate. They have crossed the Jordan River, Israel has, and have entered the promised land. You have all of the Canaanites quaking in their boots. They're shaking. They're afraid. Their hearts have melt. It seems to me that at least from a mental perspective, they know they're done. They know they're defeated. And if ever there was a time when you would think that the Lord would say, Advance! Now's the time. Go ahead and get them while they're down. What is the first commandment given by God? What is the first commandment given by God to Israel according to this passage in verse 2 and following after He has miraculously caused the Jordan River to be dry in allowing Israel to pass? What's the first command? The very first thing that God does, y'all, is defy human reason. He presses the pause button. And when God presses the pause button, you have to stop and take time to be holy. I am sure that Joshua and Israel may have initially had ants in their pants. What? We've come this far? We're here? We've entered the land? You've been with us? Let's do this now. 
I want to ask you a question. How often have you tried to rush God? How often have you tried to slow God down? I don't know that it's ever going to go for our benefits when we try to rush God or slow Him down. Though sometimes we try it, don't we? Isn't it better to examine things through the eyes of faith? And understand that God's delays are not necessarily His denials, but they are an opportunity for us to prepare ourselves to enjoy His blessings. They are opportunities for us to better prepare ourselves to enjoy His blessings. And I think of myself sometimes, and how much of my life has been invested trying to convince God to speed things up a bit. Or to slow things down. It's happening much too fast. But the command that he gives is really three parts. He tells Joshua to make knives out of flint and to circumcise all of those who needed to be. The vast majority of the males... Make knives out of flint and circumcise all of the males who needed to be, the vast majority of them. A word about the Lord's timing. And really when you stop and you think about this, put in your Bibles Leviticus 12.3. And think also of Genesis 17, verses 10 through 14. Circumcision was a sign that the Jews belonged to God. Joe mentioned in his Lord's Supper meditation the word covenant and this type of basic agreement that existed between God and His people Israel. When God promised Moses, rather, when God promised Abraham that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed, one of the things that God said, I want you to take the males and to circumcise them as a token of the covenant that we have with one another. And while a lot can be said about the subject... Think about God's timing. The timing would be when human reason would say, why are we doing this now? The timing would be, Brother Bill Powers, when they're in enemy territory. Look at verse 8, because if all of these men get circumcised, they're going to be in recovery for several days. But God says, wait a minute, and His reasoning is this. My people need to prepare themselves spiritually for the blessings they will enjoy that I provide. 
Here's what had happened, Waylon. A generation had died in the wilderness, hadn't they? And when you look at verses 2 through 9, verse 6 is really important. The Lord swore, the Lord swore in his wrath that they would not enter the promised land because of their disobedience. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 deal with this at length. We see that they were not able to enter in because of unbelief. Hebrews 3.19 What circumcision was, was a reminder that these people belonged to God. And that God had made them a promise that through Abraham, their ancestor, all the nations of the world would be blessed. One of the things that God promised Abraham was a land. And here they are. Here they are at the land. When you look at 2 through 9, friends... There is a contrast from the generations past who died in the wilderness wandering 40 years of that and the present generation that has just entered Canaan land. Listen. Catch it. Roger, hear me? A person could be circumcised in the Old Testament A person could have been delivered from Egyptian bondage. A person could have crossed the Red Sea as it were dry land. A person could have eaten manna from heaven and the quail that God provided. They could have drunk water from the rock. They could have had sandals and clothes that didn't wear out and they could perish in the wilderness. In fact, tens of thousands did. A person can be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. A person can attend every service of the church. A person can engage in Bible study and pray. A person can be viewed as a faithful member and still be lost. Because it's not just those outward actions that are important, as important as they were in the Old Testament and as important as the ones I just mentioned are in the New. But the idea is this. The faith that is rewarded by God is a faith that humbly and lovingly seeks to do what He says. That is the key expression of our faith. Do I humbly and lovingly seek to do what God says? What's my motive? Love and humility? I hope and pray that it is. As we look at this passage, it talks about God's promise. 
and how these people needed to renew their promise to God. I think Joe talked about that in the Lord's Supper meditation. In the Lord's Supper, we can renew our promise to God as He has given His Son for our sins. Notice verse 9. After verse 6, that's a key verse in verses 2 through 9, about how they had not obeyed God and so those people perished in the wilderness. Here's my question. If Joshua had not made knives, what do you think would have happened to the people? If he had not made knives of flint, what might have happened to the people? These are things that we may not know for sure, but I suspect that there's enough Bible in other places to help us know. If he had not made knives of flint and circumcised every male that needed to be circumcised, they would not have been reminded that God wants us to be spiritually prepared to enjoy his blessings. And listen, no one is spiritually prepared to enjoy God's blessings who does not humbly and lovingly respond to God in obedience. Not one person. Now look at verse 9. In verse 9, the Word of God says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. The idea of the reproach of Egypt. They'd been enslaved by Egypt. But not only had they been enslaved by Egypt, Egypt had come to dominate the thinking of Israel. And the old statement is true. God got Israel out of Egypt in one day. But it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. The reproach of Egypt. Think about Israel and its grumbling and complaining and faithlessness and disobedience in the wilderness. With exceptions, thank God. But far too many. One has to wonder about Christians today that moan and groan and gripe and complain about virtually everything. As we are here in this world, heading to our promised land. You think about it. Maybe God puts the pause button on so that we will prepare ourselves spiritually to greater enjoy the blessings he has in mind. And we shouldn't complain in the meantime. Now look at verses 10 through 12. You have a word about God's blessing. A word about the Lord's blessing in 10 through 12. The observance of the Passover. And it's as if you could not get a better synopsis of God's dealings with Israel than you've got here in Joshua 5. It's a great chapter. Because of its reference to circumcision, which would really be indicative of God's promise to Abraham... And then of the Passover, which would be indicative of God's deliverance of Israel when they were in bondage. 
So two significant events in the history of this people. God's promise to Abraham and God sparing the firstborn. Exodus 12, the background for the Passover. And notice what happens. When you look at this and the word of his blessing in the observance of the Passover... There is the blessing of deliverance. I delivered you out of Egypt and brought you to this very place, the land of promise, just as I've said, God is saying. And when you look at 10 through 12, they observe the Passover. Secondly, there is another blessing. There's a blessing of the Lord's abundance. Notice verses 11 and 12. And for people like me who may not get something the first time, if God says it enough, it starts to sink in. Three times in two verses, verses 11 and 12, it says that Israel ate what, y'all? What did they eat? Don't say manna. They ate what, Adam? Three times it says they ate the produce of the land. The blessing of God's abundance. And then it says, God did not supply the manna any longer. Promise fulfilled. The special providence of God. And I think it's so striking that Christians today can know the blessing of deliverance being in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. We know the blessings of God's abundance, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, but not just that, all the material blessings, all of the blessings that we enjoy, the blessings of abundance. But even then, the Lord does more. How about the blessings of His special providence? How many people have we prayed for over the years here at Westside? And then when they got better, we were all amazed at how great God was at working through the doctors and the nurses and how He helped people. How He prolonged people's lives when it seemed as if maybe they didn't have much time left. How thankful we should be that we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. The same God that in a special exercise of His providence gave manna, He provides for us too, providentially. My God shall richly supply your every need according to His riches of mercy in Christ Philippians 4.19. That's not enough. We've got the word of his strength. We got the word of his timing. We also have this idea of the word of his promise from verses 10 through 12. Now look at 13 through 15. What we see here is the word of his holy presence. The word of his holy presence. We are introduced to a character who is described as the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua sees this individual holding a sword and he says, Are you for us or for 
our adversaries. And the way the commander of the armies responds is this, No, I am the commander of the Lord's army. Listen, y'all, and it shows how sometimes we get the wrong idea. The issue is not the Lord on our side. The issue is whether we will be on the Lord's side. Because only when we are on the Lord's side is the Lord on our side. Sometimes we're singing, have, have the Lord not been on our side? It's a great song, beautiful song. But it's only good when we think about it in the context of the fact that we are on the Lord's side. He's the Lord and we're not. And what is significant to me in verses 13 through 15 of Joshua 5, this passage is paralleled by Isaiah 6, 1 through 9 where Isaiah sees something of the glory of God in a vision. That He's holy and holy, holy. And Isaiah would go on to say, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of an unclean people. He sees something about God and His greatness in Isaiah 6. It's a vision. But also think about this passage here in verses 13 through 15 as being paralleled by Exodus 3, 1 through 6. When God speaks to Moses through the burning bush, the commander of the armies says, I am the commander of God's armies. God is a holy, mighty warrior. Don't mess with God. He's a holy, mighty warrior. And Joshua sees this. It's more than a vision. It seems to be an appearance, a manifestation of some kind. And what the commander of God's army says is fall down your own holy ground. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Exodus 3, doesn't it? What... I am said to Moses, fall down, you're on holy ground. What is happening here, y'all, is that Joshua is being given assurance, much like his predecessor Moses had been. God is saying, you put your trust in the commander of the armies. You put your trust in the holy, mighty warrior God to do what He said. Even when I hit the pause button, you listen and respect and lovingly do what I say. And you'll be blessed. Because I love you. And I want you to be with me. I believe personally, and this is an opinion, it's only an opinion, that this is one of those occasions when we have Jesus in some form manifesting Himself to another. That's only my opinion. I cannot prove that. But I base it on the fact that the person is related to the I Am of Exodus chapter 3. The commander of the armies 
Who's the head of the armies? It's the Lord's army. Throughout the Old Testament, there are appearances, it seems, when people really need it. In Genesis 18, the Lord, it is said, appears to Abraham as a pilgrim. If ever there was a pilgrim, it was Abraham looking for a home, dwelling in tents. The Lord, the Bible says, appeared to Jacob. Genesis chapter 32. Jacob the schemer. The Lord appears as one who wrestles with him. In the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace and recall that a fourth one is seen, one like the Son of Man. If I am correct in my opinion, the Lord is the one who visits us throughout our pilgrimage in this world. The Lord is the one who is with us in our struggles and we learn humility and submission and sometimes even go through life with a limp after our conflicts with our Lord. We've learned. The Lord is with us in the fiery furnace of affliction just like He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the Lord is with us much like He was with Joshua as we prepare ourselves spiritually to enjoy the wonderful blessings to come. Now I'd say there's a lot of New Testament in Joshua chapter 5, wouldn't you? Amen? I say to you as we close, if this passage is all about preparing spiritually to be able to enjoy God's blessings. How can anyone really enjoy God's blessings, eternal blessings, without coming to Christ? How can one enjoy God's blessings without faith, without repentance, without baptism, without turning to the Lord and the grace of God as seen in the cross of Christ? How can anybody do that? You may be at the door. But if you're unprepared to enjoy the blessings to the fullest, God has hit the pause button. And He's saying, now is the time to be made white by the blood of the Lamb. Won't you come as we stand and sing?